So I'm curious to see if there's any estate sales in Toronto. Toronto estate sales, Toronto estate court. Hello everyone, and welcome to Prepare to Die, the podcast. I'm Sam. The great estate sale. As a secondhand shopping enthusiast and somebody who has a bit of a morbid curiosity, I really don't know why I didn't think of going to estate sales sooner. But with COVID restrictions, the only ones I could find in my area were online. Oh, there's there's whole places that do just estate sales. And quickly learned that my new hobby might be looking through dead people's stuff. What is this? This... Oh, this has his name in it. Uncle Dan's Laser Disc Collection. Oh my God, it's just a bunch of CDs. Uncle Dan, this is his estate. Okay, I can see the CDs. I see Leanne Rimes, J-Lo, Ricky Martin, Nelly. Okay, Enrique Iglesias. Yeah, Uncle Dan, another J-Lo. Another Ricky Martin. Uncle Dan was an early odds fan. And then I struck gold. Ah, this vintage marble table. I've never wanted something more. Welcome to episode one of Prepare to Die. In this episode, you better stay in my good books and get your documents in order. Because we're making my will. Hi there, I'm comedian Sam Sferaza, and welcome to Prepare to Die. If you're just tuning in, this is a podcast about the final frontier, the one thing we're still afraid to talk about, and that is death. So this podcast is an investigation of all things death and dying, and the way we're going to explore that is through my own death plan. I'm going to plan every aspect I can about my death and my funeral, what I want to happen after I die, so that we can learn more along the way. Now, just to be clear, I'm not planning on dying, I'm not terminally ill, and I'm thankful for that, but, you know, a lot of people who die don't plan on dying. I mean, as the saying goes, you could get hit by a bus, and thankfully my underwear is always amazing. So for the first episode, I thought I'd tackle something pretty obvious when it comes to a death plan, and that is my will. And we're going to explore wills and estates and make it exciting, I promise. Now, when you picture a will, you might just picture a financial plan or a plan for all your belongings, but I think it represents more. Wills represent our need to try to claw and keep ourselves into the physical world even after we've we've gone. That that estate sale was my first I've seen, even though it was just online. And it's really mind-boggling. There was some strange stuff. We leave behind a lot of shit. There was one lot that was just dozens of girls' colored plastic boots. What was Uncle Dan doing with dozens of plastic, multicolored girls' boots? I I don't know. We're We're complex beings. I mean... And on top of that, it wasn't actually that strange stuff that really got me. It was the really mundane stuff like a leftover telephone, um, a satellite dish, 
all these pieces of the mundane that we just leave behind. Because, I mean, if we're honest, us human beings, we're not good at getting rid of stuff, even after we die. Sometimes that stuff is buried with us. I mean, look at the ancient Egyptians. They chalked coffins full of coins and riches to pay tolls in the afterlife. If death was a seven-hour plane ride, ancient Egyptians were like your mom slipping you a clementine and a granola bar in your bag. Like, you never know. You're gonna want it. And burying yourself with stuff just always freaks me out because then it reminds me of the reality that the stuff that I own is probably going to outlive me. The yoga mat beside me right now in this recording area I'm in is going to be around longer than I will likely. That is terrifying. Please don't remind me of that. But okay, I will. It's obviously important and it's the first step into this death plan. So why don't I have a will? Well, I do not have a will because I'm not an English lord leaving pennies to my sickly Tim Burton-esque family, only for them to realize a second, more favorable family overseas has received the mass of my fortune. Because that's what I think first when I think of wills. I don't, I don't know why. Wills, how do I explain this? Wills seem steampunk. They seem steampunk to me. So, uh, I mean, obviously... I had to do some research. So, with a bit of a history lesson, here I go. If we're going to credit anyone as the originators of the will, it would be the ancient Romans. In ancient Roman times, wills were not seen as personal documents as much as public ones. First wills were given orally by some accounts to a room of seven witnesses while the person was still alive. Later on, someone real smart came along and said, hey, why don't we just write this down? And they started doing that. The will was a big deal to Romans. A person's will was seen as the final judgment they bestowed on friends and family. Not only was it seen as a final judgment of those around them, but it was also the deceased's truest form of judgment. The Romans, and especially the elite Romans, which of course there are better records of, played a complex game of politics and alliances with their wills. The Romans understood that whatever you said in your will or whatever you left in your will was an extremely honest truth. It's not like you could reap the rewards of, say, leaving a highly connected friend some of your land. If you said you really cared about someone and left them a hefty part of your estate, that had to be true. You weren't trying to get floor seats at the Colosseum or an invite to a bisexual orgy because you were dead. And the result of this kind of final judgment aftermath, well, it is simply the stuff of modern day reality television. The Romans were messy bitches who loved drama. If you know your history, you should not be shocked. If you were an ancient Roman and you wanted to be petty in your will, you had a few options. Omission, disinheritance, or abuse. Omission is pretty obvious. The most dramatic of omissions occurred in the will of the ancient and wealthy Lunia, sister of Brutus and widow of Cassius, which named almost every leading citizen of Rome with honor, but pointedly passed over the emperor Tiberius. You can see how powerful a damning will could be because normally giving the emperor the cold shoulder would be pretty dangerous, I'm guessing. But when you're dead, who's gonna stop you? The petty upgrade from this was leaving someone you did not care for a pittance of an amount. That way, you didn't just forget them, you 
just don't like them. Because sometimes if you weren't listed in the will, people would figure maybe they forgot. But if you give them a dollar, you didn't forget. You just didn't care for them. Disinheritance was also an option, but was also taken very seriously as a sign of abuse. So you had to be sure to state a reason. Like your children had to be proven deadbeats. If that wasn't enough, you could also put in a small phrase in your will called an old GM, which basically is a final judgment on someone in a short phrase. You could say something like, I found her doll. Seriously, that was it. You could throw shade from the grave. So that was ancient Roman in a nutshell. Let's jump forward a bit to give more context to wills today, to the 17th century to 19th century in Europe and in parts of America. Things in this time operated as you would imagine, the eldest son getting first dibs of an estate, unless otherwise stated in a will, and so on. If a husband died, the widower was entitled to a dower or one-third of the husband's income from his estate, and that would be lost if she remarried too. However, if a female of means died in some places in England and America at least, men would get what's called a courtesy, which was their version of an allowance for life with no remarital clause. However, it required that the husband and wife had to have had a child together. No child, no courtesy. And even weirder, if the wife died during childbirth and the baby was born via C-section, also no allowance. The law is weird back then, and I don't know why. Obviously, I could go on about the history of will and succession law, but I just wanted to condense it to the most interesting parts for you. What I'm more interested in is looking at wills today and to see if we can see any kind of resemblance. Believe it or not, it is difficult to find a lawyer to talk about wills who will agree to be a part of a podcast that is an audio death plan while you're still alive. But I did find what I thought was the next best thing, my friend and comedian, Natalie Norman. Now, Natalie has the unique experience of being made privy to multiple people's wills in her lifetime, so I gave her a call to talk about it. I was dating someone in 2019. We we briefly dated, um, and then people were like, Natalie, you're crazy, let him go. And I was like, no, we have like an emotional attachment to each other. There was like, no, no, no. Anyways, fast forward to September 2019, where he like came over to my house, we're like sitting outside, and he's like, I don't feel well. I was like, okay. He's like, I put you in my last will and testament. And um, I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, I created my last will and testament. It's like a book of every item I own in my house. And um, you're getting drums. And I was like, okay. Okay. The fact that a man wanted to leave you a drum set, babe, (laughs) run, run, (laughs) run screaming. Well, like, obviously, we're not doing this anymore. But like, it's just like, a, like, oh, my God, thank you for thinking of me. (laughs) Okay, the fact, okay, continue. (laughs) I think he was not in order for a drum, but continue. Well, no, but there's clearly something going on here with this person there. Like, I told him you know, let's go to the hospital, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing is, like, (laughs) well, I don't want to divulge too much personal information about the person. No, but it's just it's just funny being like, wow, thank you so much for putting me in the well. Side note, you need psychiatric help. (laughs) Well, I mean, come on. Yeah, no, it's true. You did the right thing. Second of all, um, every time my dad goes on vacation, 
which is very rarely. He's a Virgo. Just feel like you would have liked that energy. He sends a detailed item list of everything they own. And, like, he has an official will, but he has a detailed item list of all his, like, finances, like, if he has, like, properties, antiques, and um, who gets them and how much they're worth. And it's always very daunting to be like, okay, you're going to Florida. Like, we don't <laughs> we don't need this item list of what you have. Um, and I feel like there's someone else's will I'm in. But, yeah. No. That's- no. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> so, so what's the thought process? Like, if anything happens specifically while I'm traveling, here's what you should do with all of my stuff. I mean, I think it's that Jews are, like, very um, – I'm, Jew- I'm Jewish for those who are, don't know me. I'm Jewish. And I think when you come from parents that are immigrants, um, especially parents that are children of Holocaust survivors, they're very suspicious of institutions. <laughs> well, and that seems, like, very – I don't want to throw around the word trauma response, but maybe that's the word or just like that's the reaction you get because literally it's like if the world falls apart, here's the plan. No, that is 100% trauma based. It's it's very insane. And I could say that because he's my father, but. Is this, I just love, I just need details. Like, is it a PDF? Is it a Google Doc? Of course not. My parents are in their, like, late 70s. So do you get, like, a piece of parchment, like, delivered to you by a notary? (laughs) I wish. It's in an email, and it's just in the main. Can you pull it up and just read a few lines with that? I, let me see if I can find it. I might have deleted it because I was like, this is, A, this does not hold up in court. B, I have four other siblings, and some of them are greedy. Um, well, yeah, I think any judge would be like, um, are you sure your father was of sound mind when he wrote the email? <laughs> like, and I'm just wondering how detailed he gets, like if it's like purple vase, Natalie. Like, no, no, no. no. I, let me find this. Um Okay. Oh, my God. There's so many emails. He sends me an email. Oh, I found it. Oh, my God. Just just a couple lines, please. Okay. So there, there's some, like, legal things, and here it goes. It ends with, hold on. It ends with, all decisions, decisions should be made by three of five or three of four, all of three in the event that no, no arguing. That's that's literally worth what you wrote. Okay, so you're literally like a step daughter in like a grim fairy tale. Like I, that's what it I feels mean, like. I'm basically the poor man's succession. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because like they know like I don't want to. Okay, so what did we learn? We learned that Natalie should never date musicians and that the Norman family sounds like it would be tense during Hanukkah. But honestly, Natalie's dad inspired me. Why was I waiting to be in front of a lawyer to have a will? I had every right to lay out my will here and now. I didn't need to be in a lawyer's office. All I needed was a plan. So here it is. My non-legally binding, at least for now, will. 
Any money left in my checking account can be made out to the Children's Centre in Thorold, Ontario. I have mild cerebral palsy and they helped me a lot growing up. Also, when I was a child, I had no filter and insulted one physician with a stutter and another with rosacea in front of their faces and I still cringe about how I did that. So um, please accept this gift and I am so sorry. Any money left in my savings account, and yes, the extent of my financial fortitude is one checking account and one savings account I can't get into anymore, can be tossed over the shoulder and into the fountain at Toronto's Eaton Centre, unless it's under construction, I assume it will be at my time of death. Um, If so, just ditch the whole fountain idea and get a booster juice instead. Um, This must be done by my lawyer and no one else. My home, I leave to my beautiful fiancé, of course, provided he sets a place for me at the table every meal and leaves my room exactly the same as the day I died, just like all the moms on SVU. If you're able to sell the house, I will be haunting it quite heavily to keep this from happening for sport, but please give my father half the revenue and sell it to a couple that seems positively boring. Our home has been through enough. We're two gay Leos. My creepy doll collection, which no one seems to like but me, can be on display for 90 days minimum in my room, after which they can be buried in the backyard so the next homeowner can find them while installing a new gazebo. Someone call Ryan Murphy, American Horror Story Doll Cemetery. Oh my god, we need Elle Fanning. My clothes can be donated. I'm mostly sick of them because teens on TikTok dress way better than me now. Anything else left in my estate can be sold for profit, which can be split between my family members. Be sure to market the sale like I'm an old, glamorous woman who was drunk all day and wore a lot of silk robes and drank from thick crystal cups. It will up the sales price. In ancient Roman style, I would like to leave the following people $1 so they know that I think they are trash. Donald Trump. The lady at my local cafe who told me not to park in the alleyway, even though she was right, I didn't like her tone. And finally, Ben Mulroney, just to confuse and humble him, and I just don't like his face. Please leave $61.54 in my account, payable to my therapist, Neil Hicks, whom I forget to pay e-transfer every week, and surely will forget the week of my death. And now for some eulogiums. Remember, these are final judgments on people from the grave. I've expanded it to people and things. Here we go. Demi Lovato and Carly Rae Jepsen. Never understood your appeal, but for me, I appreciate the work ethic more than anything. TTC bus drivers, you are braver than the Marines. Thank you. Sour Patch Kids, thank you for being secretly vegan. The Moon. Thanks for taking the heat for when I was acting seriously foolish. You're the perfect astrological scapegoat. Candles. Personally, you made a huge comeback for me. You went from a grandma fave to a revered hip boutique staple, and I support you. Small jackets for pets. It's always been a pleasure. Blue light glasses. You are the biggest scam of our lifetime. Dasani water. Why are you even still around? A $6 Americano when I have an espresso machine at home. Love you, friend. My dad's friend, Patrick. You made fun of me as a child for ordering a Shirley Temple and I never forgot it. I don't like you. Straight guys with fat asses. What a waste and go to hell. Our house fig plant that is minutes from death. Thanks for making us believe we can accomplish absolutely nothing. Jeff Bezos. Hope we bury you in a coffin comprised of Amazon Prime boxes. 
my cat Sabrina. I think I'll miss you most of all. Honestly, I couldn't be more happy with this death plan. But listen, this is not a podcast of hypotheticals, okay? I'm looking to get my real will made. So the question is, how much of what I just listed for you vocally as my audio death plan could actually be put in my will legally? Well, as you know, finding a lawyer was difficult, but I finally did do it with the power of Google, how I solve pretty much all my problems and discover anything I don't know how to do is Google it. And that's what I did. And I found lawyer Jonathan Burstein. He's a will specialist lawyer here in Toronto. And I was able to interview him. Now, before we go to the interview, I have to say, legally, this is not legal advice. Please consult your lawyers if you are in need of legal advice, whatever hot water you're in, please consult your lawyers. But without further ado, here's Jonathan Burstein entertaining me, an absolute clown. Um, hi, so I'm here with Jonathan Burstein from Burstein Law in Toronto. Jonathan is a business and estates lawyer. Jonathan, thank you so much for talking with me today. Um, as you said before, uh, as you might have guessed, actually, uh, you are not the first lawyer I had to reach out to to agree to this interview. So I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you uh, for pronouncing my name so perfectly. So are there any misconceptions around wills that you think um, people should know about or that you run into a lot, maybe with clients or other people that talk to you about your work? Yeah, so uh, what if one of the... Uh, sometimes when clients explain to me why they're getting a will, one of one of the things that come up are that they're scared that if you don't have a will, uh, that the government is going to get all of your assets. Um, so that's not true. Um, so basically, if you don't have a will, um, a few things, there's a few consequences of that. One is that the law will determine who can act as your executor. So that's the person who's going to um, carry out the provisions of your will and deal with your estate. Um, the law will also say who's entitled to your estate. So um, if there is a situation where you really don't have any relatives, and we're including now more distant relatives, only at that point that the government would end up with your property. The other thing uh, that comes up, and this is common, I think um, a lot of times people say, it's often around discussions concerning price, but I just did basic will. Um, so, you know, having done this a while, I think somebody says a basic will, I think, you know what, they probably think that they're going to do one of two things. If they're married, you know, and have children, they'll probably leave everything to a spouse. Um, and then uh, if their spouse dies before them, then they'll leave everything to their children. Or if there's no spouse, maybe they'll just leave their uh, property to you know, siblings or other family members. So um, why well, I think that's a misconception is what, even though that, you know, it seems like it's standard, but once you kind of um, uh, go into more detail about their situation, so things like, um, you know, that family with young children, well, maybe they have life insurance. Um, and if you have life insurance and you have minor children, what they don't realize is that, you know, unless we include some provisions in a will, what's going to happen if there's a car accident and something happens to both parents is that um, the you know the proceeds of the life insurance are actually likely going to have to be paid into court. So the children won't benefit from that life insurance until they're 18. 
right? So now we have to think about, we have to create what's called an insurance trust to make sure that um, a trustee has access to those funds before, um, while the children are minors and can use the funds for their benefit. And then we have to think about things like, you know, who's going to act as guardians for the property? Where are the children going to live? Um, and then in our example, we said there's a life insurance possibly, so the, policy, so there's going to be some funds. So now we have to think about, you know, what can those funds be used for? Can they be used to assist with, um, you know, the, the care? Can they, you know, be provided to the person who's going to look after the, the property? So even though the situation is, um, I prefer to call it a standard situation, um, you know, once we go through the different questions and the options and, and possible situations, um, the will itself can turn into a complex, um, you know, document fairly quickly. So people will often come to you and they think they just want a basic will, but what you find is that there's really no such thing, that people just lead more complicated lives than they even really know. Yeah, and I think it's also more about the fact that there's just a whole uh, whole, um, a whole host of, you know, possibilities, right? So when we're dealing with a will, you know, Today, just as an example, you and I would sit down, but that will is also going to have to deal with situations, a number of different possibilities, right? Um, you know, who, who dies first? Um, not only who dies first, but when does a person die? You know, are children minors? Are they adults? And then what happens if somebody you've left as a beneficiary dies before you? So, you know, um, you know, the sum, we stop at some point. This doesn't go on forever, but, you know, there are uh, a number of possibilities that we have to deal with or at least have to consider, um, you know, in the document, which, which, you know, could turn a basic situation or a simple situation into a complex one. And, I mean, this is why people with big estates have really good lawyers and really long wills because they have to play the tape to the end yeah. for everything or else, you know, risk losing a lot of money, I would guess. Yeah, I mean, with, yeah, the big, the complex, I mean, they're, are a host of issues they um, that they have to deal with. It's um, you know at that point there's you know a lot of money. There's businesses. There's assets. There's often um, assets in multiple jurisdictions. So it's uh, it's certainly a lot of work and a lot of issues to to sort through. So what can and can't be put in a will if they do become the complex legal documents? At what point can the wish of the dead just like not be fulfilled. So there's, um, you know, there's this pretty wide discretion as to what you can do. Um, um, but uh, I think the, the, you know, the big endpoint is there's um, there there's a legal principle that's in, that's applied is that basically you can't include a provision in your will that's contrary to public policy. Um, and there's you know there's no uh, legal test as to what that is, and that changes over time. So as you can imagine, wh whatever was con contrary to public policy in the 1800s is very different than today. Um, so uh, you know just think of a couple of examples. So one, there was a decision that dealt with um, a will created a. Um, almost like a scholarship fund for, for uh, the University of Western Ontario in Windsor. And then basically um, it said a couple of things. So the will said that it was going to provide funds um, and bursaries, and it was limited to uh, Caucasian, and then in brackets it was white, uh, male, single, heterosexual student, students. Um, or oh, no. Single, yeah, single, uh, Caucasian, white 
uh, females who are not feminist or lesbians. So. Oh, oh no. Yeah, that's, that was a few years good. ago. That might have been okay in the 1800s. I mean, maybe somebody in the 1800s wouldn't have even have thought to have done that. But. Um, yeah, I'd say so. That seems yeah. pretty. Yeah. So I don't need to tell you what happened with that one, but um, so th- so that provision was void because it was contrary to public policy. It was, um, um, you know, obviously discriminatory. Uh, so in that situation, the court basically says that they could administer this the scholarship fund and disregard those provisions. Um, another example, and I. Uh, and this is dating back to law school where this uh, this comes up sometimes, but um, so provisions that uh, to a certain extent interfere with marriage can also be found um, to be contrary to public policy. So this is, I would say, maybe probably not very funny for the people involved, but a little bit you know, more funny than our other example. Um, I can't wait. One example is... Um, so there was this uh, McBride decision, and the individual apparently he had a history of interfering with his son Robert's uh, relationships. And then uh, when when the individual's will was made, uh, Robert, the son, was married to uh, a woman named Geraldine, um, who, based on the court decision, apparently uh, they were very happily married. Um, so what uh, the testator, the individual who made the will, said that if he's married, if Robert is married to Geraldine, uh, when I die, I divide my assets among uh, you know this list of charities. But if he's not married to her, then you can give everything to Robert. So um, that was another example where the court said that um, that was a provision that was contrary to public policy. The purpose was basically to get him to divorce his wife. Um, you know, good for him. He didn't do it, and. Um, you know, he ended up with his share of the the estate in any event. Well, I'm really glad the law prevents people from being vindictive assholes. That's kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, I, they probably wouldn't characterize it like that, but I think that's pretty much um, what it does. <laughs> I sure would. <laughs> you know, I've been doing research about wills yeah. from the history, and I'm finding that even in ancient times, you wouldn't get away with something like that because <laughs> people took it really seriously when you, like, disavowed your kin. It was a big deal. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned the, the disavowing your, your kin. So, yeah, and that's maybe going back to the misconceptions. That's another one. It can actually do it a lot. Um, it's a lot easier to do it, um, you know, than most people think. The, you know, the big exception, if you're a, you know, an adult and you have adult children, that's the key, um, you, know, you have adult children, you really don't have uh, any obligation to leave them something in a will for the most part, right? Um, the main exception is if, if they're a de- in Ontario, if they're a dependent, so meaning if you're financially supporting them, then the law, you know, the law might impose um, a, uh, you, you might have an obligation um, to leave them something in your will, but in many cases you don't have an obligation to do so. Right. Okay. So a lot of my questions, selfishly, I'm thinking about my own will and what I want to put in it. So um, I'm glad to hear that I can put some instructions in my will. Now, when it comes to, I mean, things that you might have seen in TV or movies, a lot of the time someone's will has like a set of instructions that people have to um, obey. It's kind of like their death wish. Is that at all legally binding? Like, does the family have any kind of obligation to fulfill desires like that? You know what? It's, it depends on the instructions, right? Um, um, some, 
Yeah, it's a good question. Like some instructions, like can you give me a couple of examples of instructions? Okay, so I kind of just want to have fun with it. So I yeah. want to I want to do stuff like you have to like leave my room the way it is for 90 days and then have people like come and pay respects like a museum of me in my room. I think that would be cool. But I want to make sure that my fiance, bearing that I die before him, you know, fulfills this wish. But I don't know if the law is going to like allow my frivolity <laughs> to be <laughs> made into reality. But I, this is what I'm wondering. Can stuff like that be made like a wish? That's actually a very good example because we can use that to show what you can do and you can't do. Okay. So in your specific example, you put that in your will and you know, there might say be, uh, from what I understood, your body's going to be in this room for 90 days. Is that, uh, I wasn't thinking my body, but that is an incredible okay. idea, Jonathan. Okay. That's, so that's actually something that you wouldn't be, well, you could put it in your will, but your trustee would not have any obligation to follow that because, uh, I say trustee, I mean, uh, executor and trustee. Sometimes I use those interchangeably. Um, but the okay. person you name as your executor, they're responsible for your body. They can do whatever, uh, you know, it was, but so leaving your body, aside, um, you know, anything else, you could include provisions in your will that say, I'm just, uh, you know, your example, you can direct them to do that. And, you know, as long as, um, you know, let's say put a shrine to you and that's going to be in place uh, for this 90 day visitation period. Um, and maybe as a condition of that, somebody gets some money or part, you know, um, you know, as long oh, as I can give yeah. them some, oh, incentives. This is a great yeah. idea. So, so going back to the, as long as that isn't contrary to public policy, there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, I, you know, I haven't done a complete look at the, 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 the case law, but I think vanity probably wouldn't be um, contrary to public policy. So that one might be okay. And thank God it isn't, because I mean, I'd be in big trouble. <laughs> okay, so I have one last important question here. Sure. So, in my research of the ancient Romans, which from my research really did the most in terms of the history of wills. They would, the Romans of, uh, I guess, of a higher class would do really petty things with their wills. They would leave people like a small amount of money just to tell them, I did not care for you, and this is how little I cared about you. And I found that really inspiring. So my question to you, as ridiculous as it is, I don't know your political beliefs, but I would really love if I were to die early before Donald Trump, if I could just give him one single dollar, could you make that happen if you were my lawyer and what of the mecha what of the mechanics would that be? Okay, so that is something that um actually maybe before I answer your question, let me uh, just have a comment first because uh, maybe we'll save that, your question for last because that's a good one. But um, so about the one dollar, so maybe not a dollar, but you know, um, in my experience is that, uh, and this is more, you know, some research and you know, looking at older wills. A lot of times people would do this, even recently, um, where they wanted to di um, to disinherit somebody. So uh, you know, a child, they didn't want to leave them nothing. But the way around that was to leave them, you know, $50, $100, even $1,000. And then that way they couldn't say that they were disinherited because they got something. That's so funny that you say that because when I got the idea for this podcast, I was staying at this Airbnb that was like the mansion to this log 
like tycoon in the 1800s and he did that exact thing to his daughter and now they say it's haunted because like she's mad and he's mad <laughs> so it's this whole thing yeah so that's one thing i didn't think about the possibility we're going on to your next question about leaving donald trump one dollar i didn't think about the possibility that he might come back and haunt you so that's outside of my expert area of expertise mm. um, but yeah but that's a good the, point but the will itself so you know what if if uh, you were my client. You asked me about to put in the will. You could do that. I give you a lot of reasons why you shouldn't do that, but you could do that. Um, and that probably would be forcible provision, right? You're just leaving a person uh, an amount of money. Um, the reason why I would say, uh, well, you probably don't want to do that is you have to think about your executor. Um, being an executor is a lot of work, and it also uh, carries with it um, a number of legal obligations. They're acting as fiduciaries. It's kind of like a trustee, um, or in many respects, it's very similar to a trustee. And it basically, they have a number of legal obligations. One of them is to act as in the best interest of your beneficiaries. So one of your beneficiaries is Donald Trump now. So what you're... Oh, wait, this really turned around on me. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not... Uh, so you know, maybe your executor knows Donald Trump and now this isn't an issue. He can give Donald Trump a dollar. Um, yeah, but I don't want to care about Donald Trump. I just want him to be really confused. Well, well probably would uh, confuse him. But the, the big issue is that you're, what you're, you're, your executor is now going to have to do is either figure out a way to get a dollar to Donald Trump, which uh, these days we're now, um, what, a few days after those Washington, uh, how would you describe it? I wouldn't say there were riots, but where the protesters or whoever, the group of individuals. Yeah, I imagine he's like a little busy right now, yeah. perhaps detained if we're lucky. Yeah, so I don't know if you could just send him a letter with a dollar in it, um, but, um, you know, that would be one challenge. The other option is your... Um, executor would have to obtain a court order to basically say that he doesn't actually have to give Donald Trump a dollar. Um, so your executor is probably going to... Which, which might be hilarious enough to really scratch my yeah. head. So, so, yeah, so if, you, uh, if the whole goal of this exercise is to... Um, you know, it was a big joke on your executor. Well, I mean, that might be confusing a belittle Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if it's really to to um, upset the uh, you know the Donald, uh, I don't know if this is the best way to do it. You know, in my imagination, the powerful hand of the law would just kind of thrust a dollar in his face, and I was yeah. really hoping that would be the case. But now I kind of just have to burden somebody with that responsibility. Yeah, so that's the big issue is that you're actually uh, going to cause uh, a big headache for your, your, your executor. And what else is new? I mean, I'm doing it while I'm alive, I'm sure, whoever it is, and I'll be doing it from the grave. John, can I think Okay, so what did we learn? Wills is a big topic to cover on the first episode of a podcast. That's what I learned. And I want to thank you for listening because I know that legal jargon and that kind of thing maybe might have seemed boring, but I hope that I made it entertaining for you. But what I learned is that Wills are 
almost exactly as complicated as I imagined them to be. They are legal documents and they require a lot of time and attention and provisions. And honestly, when I started this project, I really wanted to knock off every step as I went. But I learned that they're not really something to rush. And there's a good chance I'll go with Jonathan for my lawyer for my actual will. I will keep you updated, but it's not necessarily something I want to uh, rush for the sake of a podcast. That might actually be more humiliating than anything I've done in my comedic career, and that's saying a lot. I also learned paradoxically, if you're looking to confront your own mortality and truly prepare for your own death, a will is actually the exact opposite thing than embracing mortality. Think about it. You're you're there and you're like, okay, I'm gonna die. Um, okay, but what happens to my lamp? What about my crystal collection and my grandma's teacups? I should really, you know what? We should get this in writing. We should go downtown right now and... It is not embracing the great unknown. It is not even emotionally preparing yourself. It is, in fact, concerning yourself with all the baubles and bullshit that mean nothing as soon as you're gone. And while a lot of people and a lot of your loved ones may cherish something because it reminds them of you, it's not the thing. It's the memory. Oh, God. I'm getting cheesy, but it's true. And I think I started this podcast because I wanted to confront and really prepare myself. And I think what I discovered is that a will, if you really dive into it, you can get so lost in the jargon that you kind of forget that you're talking about when you're no longer going to be on earth anymore. So we may have learned a lot, but I think we're going to have to go deeper. Oh, and that coffee table? Yeah, I went and picked it up. Okay, so I picked up the table. It's beautiful. It didn't really fit in my car, so I had to close the trunk partially, and I'm using my boot lace to keep the trunk closed. Also, it was really heavy, but the marble top separated, so I was able to do it myself. Then I went and picked up another lamp, not from an estate sale, but the same website. Uh, for my desk and the table's beautiful and but now I have to drive to visit family with my trunk partially open but it's fine we did it we did it and then I brought it home and realized it is way too big for my room so just another reason to not rush this process when it comes to death and dying and if anyone wants a marble Marie Antoinette looking coffee table with great coffee book storage underneath hit me up I guess hey dum-dums thanks for listening just kidding you're not dumb prepare to die is produced written and researched by me Sam Sferaza this is an independent project so any issues you have or concerns or especially uh, maybe some mistakes in my research I'm just a comedian tap tap tapping away on my laptop please leave a comment or you can message me at Sam is laughing on Instagram or Twitter don't forget to rate and review this podcast I am doing that solely because 
every other podcast has to do so. And I think it has something to do with the algorithm as most of human existence does right now. Bye. See you next time.